And here in this sermon series that we've been in called Wishlist, we've been asking, I've been asking the question each week, what do you really want for Christmas? And when you have a big thing like this in your life, it suddenly changes your priorities, doesn't it? Of what you really want for Christmas, what you really want in your life. I know that I'm not, we're not the only ones going through a hard time. Our, our brother Quise, his father-in-law passed away fairly su- unexpectedly a couple weeks ago, and yesterday he and Shireen buried his father-in-law. One of our city lifers had a DUI several months ago, and this past week he went before a judge and received his sentencing and is now in prison for several years. And then there's your story, and your story, and your story. And so then, when we ask the question, what do we really want for Christmas? What do we really want for Christmas? I think we find that at the core of all of us, there's just this, this crying out to God for, for God, how long, Lord, until you come back? How long, Lord, until you come to rescue us. It's the cry of humanity. I, I think it's the wish list of the world. Calling out for something bigger, something deeper, something more powerful to heal and to fix the deep wounds that so many of us carry. The, the heartache, the brokenness, the anger, the, the broken relationships the crumbled marriages, the hardness with families. The wish list of the world is this longing for something more. Tucked away in the middle of our Bibles is a section of the Bible that I love to skip. There's the really interesting stuff in like Genesis and all kind of the crazy history of all those crazy people and all the things they did. And then in the New Testament, you've got, you know, life of Jesus, that's cool. And you've got the life of the new disciples, also very interesting and kind of lots of problems, but, you know, interesting. And then somewhere around, like, right here, there's this part of the Bible called the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. And they're not very interesting. And so anytime I'm reading through my Bible, because I, I do a read through the Bible with how I work through the scripture. It's just my pattern. It's how I like to do it. It usually takes me about three years to get through the Bible because I like to read slowly. But every time I get to that first pro- prophetic book, I'm like, all right, here we go. The prophets again. The chart on the screen uh, has the books of the Bible broken up. You can see that there's law and history. That, sorry, that graphic's a little bit fuzzy there. Law, history, poetry, like the Psalms and Proverbs. In the New Testament, you've got the Gospels and then the green are, are the the letters, the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote and others. And in the, in the center column, there's that purple column, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And it's these, there are prophecies all throughout the Bible, but it's here in this section of Scripture that they're concentrated. There are lots of prophecies about lots of different sorts of things, about the fall of Jerusalem, about the fall of Israel, about the fall of Judah, about how God is calling people to repentance, and then sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, and what happens if they do, what happens if they don't. But sprinkled throughout these prophetic books and through all the prophecies of the Bible are are prophecies here and prophecies there and prophecies here and prophecies there about the Savior that is to come to fulfill the wish list of the world. 
the Savior who is to come to make everything wrong right again. And at Christmas, we usually think about angels and shepherds and wise men, as we should, but we typically don't see the prophets in the Christmas story. But the thing is, is without the prophets, we, we wouldn't know there would be a Messiah coming. We wouldn't know a Savior would be on its, his way. Without the prophets, we wouldn't know what the Messiah would be like. Without the prophets, we wouldn't know how to identify when the Messiah actually comes. But the prophets help us see all these things. They help us to see that Jesus is coming just as the prophets foretold. And the story before the Christmas story, the wish list of the world, begins like this. We begin in Genesis, from the beginning of time. We're in Eden, perfect, beautiful Eden. The serpent comes, and from the moment Adam and Eve break away from God and turn toward the serpent, what falls on the earth? The curse. The curse, sin enters into the world. It's called the curse because it is so awful and so permanent. Death to the world, the curse has come. Let heaven and nature grieve. But in this time of their failure and humiliation, as they stagger under the weight and toil of fallen life, the Lord God, even in this dark moment, gives them a glimmer, a glimmer of hope. Genesis 3, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have tempted the people, Cursed are you above all livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This last line is the first prophecy in the Bible, and it says there will be a woman. It says there will be a son born of a woman. It says that the son will have an enemy, the serpent. It says there will be hostility between the serpent and the son. It says that the serpent will strike the son's heel, that there will be a wound, but not a mortal wound, but that the son will crush the serpent's head in total defeat. This prophecy, this prophecy from the earliest days of human time, would plant a seed of hope. That one day there would be, now we see it, a Jesus who would be on a cross, struck in the heel by the serpent. It looked like it would be a mortal wound, but it was not because he came back and stomped on the serpent's head. The Bible is divided up into two parts, Old Testament, New Testament. Old Testament is pre-Christmas. New Testament is post-Christmas. Christmas is the thing that happens in the middle of the Testaments. You already heard what happened about the, in the Old Testament that the son would be born of a woman, but now see in the New Testament its fulfillment. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the time had fully come, meaning it was the perfect time for Christmas, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. 
Do you hear the woman language here that was repeated from Genesis? And then in the other, in Galatians chapter three, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. We have here the curse being redeemed, the son that is born of the woman. The Bible is full of prophecies about Jesus. Scattered throughout the, the pages of scripture, we have prophecies all over, from this source, from that source, over a period of hundreds and hundreds of years. And it's incredible that these prophecies all line up. Let's take a few more moments and look at several more prophecies through the scriptures. We'll be going through these chronologically. The second prophecy of Jesus is through Jacob. This is 2000 BC. What year? 2,000 years before Jesus. This is far, far, far. This is as far away from Jesus before Jesus as we are from Jesus after Jesus, okay? Very far before Jesus. So we have Jacob, who was the son of... Okay, let's try that again. Jacob was the son of... Isaac was the son of... Good. You heard, you heard it go Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I made you go backwards, so you had to think about it. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here we are at Jacob, all right? Third generation of God's chosen family. God came to Abraham. God said, Abraham, I chose you. Out of you is going to come the rescuer of all the people. You are going to be great. You are going to be blessed so that you will be a blessing to the whole world. So here we are. Abraham got this amazing blessing. He never saw the fulfillment of it. Isaac got the blessing passed down to him, but he never saw the total fulfillment of it. He saw pieces of it along the way. And here we are with Jacob, who again saw a partial blessing, but didn't see the total fulfillment of the prophecy. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob then had 12 sons. These 12 sons would marry. They would become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is how the family is begun. And it is out of this family that the Messiah will eventually come. While Jacob, the patriarch of the 12 tribes, is on his deathbed, the Spirit of God comes on him and he becomes a prophet in that moment. He utters prophetic words over each of his 12 sons. When his fourth son Judah comes before him, this is what the Spirit of God gives him to say. Genesis 49.10. The scepter, pause a minute, what's a scepter? It's like a king, a king stick, right? Yeah, someone's holding up a, a stick. Yeah, it's, a, like, it's, it's symbolic of a king. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Judah, your tribe, there will be a king, there's a kingly scepter. There is royalty coming out of you, Judah. There will be a line of kings that will not end out of you, Judah. That is the prophecy about you, Judah. Amazing. The New Testament then tells us, guess what tribe Jesus comes from? Tribe of Judah. Hail, line of Judah. And in John 18, Jesus claims kingship, standing before Pilate with his hands behind his back, bound with a, a crown of thorns on his head, looking like anything but a king. Jesus boldly says to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born, and for this, I came into 
the world. Amazing. That's 2,000. Jacob prophesied this 2,000 years before Jesus. Okay, third, third prophecy. King David. This is 990 BC, about 1,000 years. So now we've fast-forwarded about 1,000 years. We went from Jacob 1,000 years forward to David, who's now about 1,000 years away from Jesus, okay? So uh, this... So he, so far, we have, not, we have had this prophecy from a thousand years ago that the line of Judah would have a king, but here we are a thousand years later, and there's no king in the line of Judah. In fact, the first king of Israel was, was, um, was Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. We don't have a, tribe of, a king from the tribe of Judah yet until we get to King David. And this all begins around 1000 BC when King David, tribe of Judah, became king. Uh, David is a king, he's a shepherd, he's a poet, he's a warrior, he's also a prophet. The Psalms are filled with prophetic Psalms. Many, many prophecies about the Savior in the book of Psalms. Now, it's, it's safe to assume that a lot of prophets didn't always know the full extent of the meaning of what they were prophesying. Sometimes they understood parts of what they were doing, and sometimes they didn't. In several of his Psalms, David prophesied about the death of the Messiah. Here, here are a few examples. See if this reminds you of anyone. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen: I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Keep listening. See who this reminds you of. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Do you know anyone else who had lots cast for them, their clothing, who had pierced hands and feet? A thousand years later in the New Testament, in John chapter 19, we read, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. Listen to this. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. John, the author who's writing this gospel, says, stop and pay attention. This was a prophecy from a thousand years ago, and this is, all being part, this is all part of its fulfillment. He wants you to notice the prophetic fulfillment. David also prophesied that when the Messiah died, his bones would not be broken. Psalm 34, 20, the Lord protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. In the New Testament, John 19, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Verse 36, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. A thousand years before that body would be pierced on the cross and those bones would not be broken. One thousand years. The fourth prophetic word is Hosea. Hosea in 736 B.C. Say 736 B.C. 250 years after King David, about 700 years before Jesus, Hosea was a prophet for a long time. 
Uh, 60, 70 years was his prophetic ministry. He's one of the longest serving prophets. He prophesied in Israel at about the same time in history that Isaiah was prophesying in Judah. So they were contemporaries of each other, just in different parts of the land. And Hosea prophesied over and over for many years about God's love for his people. Isaiah, uh, Hosea understood love better than almost any other prophet. He has a fascinating story. It's one worth digging into. But Hosea prophesied over and over to the people, God loves you. You are, you are supposed to be in a covenant relationship with him, but you are rebelling against him. You are resisting him. You are breaking the covenant relationship with God. It's like, he says, it's like you are an unfaithful spouse. You are an unfaithful lover. And he says, it pains God when you leave him and when you go away for him. And just like that kind of pain, he says, God feels that pain when you resist him. He knew the depth and the suffering of what it means to love when love is rejected or thrown away. And I think it's interesting that one of Hosea's most well-known prophecies about the Messiah has to do with this concept of God's love. In Hosea 11, verse 1, he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. It's out of the love of God that there's a call in and out of Egypt. In the New Testament, shortly after Jesus was born, we see how much the Father loves the Son. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So many, we're not going to hit all of these today, but so many interesting prophecies about where the Messiah would be from. The Messiah, he said, would be born in Bethlehem. It said the Messiah would be called out of Egypt. He said that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene, born in Nazareth. And it's like, and I would imagine that back in the day, as they were studying these prophecies, they would say, well, how could they be, how could he be from Egypt and from Nazareth and from Bethlehem? What's all that? And here we see in Jesus this fascinating combination of Jesus ends up growing up in Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. He has a period of time in Egypt. It's amazing how it all lines up. Then we have Isaiah. Isaiah is about the same time as Hosea. Isaiah, Isaiah wrote many, many prophecies about the Messiah. It's a, it's a beautiful, poetic book. Some of the world's greatest works of art, music, and poetry are rooted in the book of Isaiah. His grasp of the Hebrew language has been likened to Shakespeare's English. Isaiah contains some of the most beautiful writings in the Bible. The Gospels quote from the prophet Isaiah more than from any of the other Old Testament prophets. We'll just hit a few key ones today. In Isaiah 7:14 it says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel Now truly this would be a sign from God if a virgin has a son a child and then the name is Emmanuel God with us in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, we read, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, meaning she was a virgin, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Do you see how these New Testament authors are very intentional about repeating this happened to fulfill that prophecy from hundreds and hundreds of years ago? They really want you to notice that this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. Isaiah said other things too. Isaiah, in Isaiah 53, he said, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 750 years before our Savior Jesus would be hanging on that cross in the process of dying, 750 years before the prophet Isaiah could see that surely he would take up our pain, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, and that somehow, incredibly, it would be by his wounds we would be healed. Incredible. That takes us to Micah, the sixth prophet. 700 BC. The prophet Micah also spoke about an upcoming Messiah. Uh, Micah was a small town prophet himself, and he had a prophecy about a small town savior. Micah 5.2, he says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He says, Savior will be born in Bethlehem. In the New Testament, we read in Matthew 2, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Verse 4, when he had called together all, uh, so what happens here then is Magi from the east, they come looking for this king. They say, where's, hey, we heard there's a king. Uh, we got, we see, saw a star in the sky. We know from our readings of, of the sky that there is a king that was born to the Jews. We need to know where he is and what's going on. And, and so they go to the person in charge who happens to be King Herod. And they're like, hey, we hear that the new king is born and we'd like to see him. Where is he? And Herod's like, I don't know what king you're talking about. Oh, it's the king of the Jews? Let's see what their prophecies say. So Herod calls in the, some of the Jewish experts and says, what do your prophecies say about what your Messiah is supposed to do? So it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, Herod asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. They, they exactly repeat this prophecy from Micah. They have the info, right? It's amazing how they still get Jesus wrong, but they have the info right here. Verse 7 Excuse me, uh, prophet number seven, then, is Jeremiah. This is about 500 years before Jesus. 
poor Jeremiah, he's not a very happy prophet. He gets called the weeping prophet. He's very, pretty miserable his entire life. God tells him he's not allowed to get married. He's not allowed to have children. He has to be alone. And he does not have any friends because the prophecies that he is sent to be a mouthpiece for to God are the kind of prophecies that don't get you friends. Uh, If he were to read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, he would fail that test because everything he had to say was discouraging to the people. God gave Jeremiah messages of judgment. And Jeremiah, to be faithful to God, had to pronounce messages of, you are not obeying God. You are not following what God wants for your life. You're going to be in trouble unless you turn around. Please turn around. Please listen. Please listen to, God wants you to listen. He wants you to turn around. For years and years and decades, this was the message that God gave him to preach over and over and over again. And people never really came around. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And I think that it's appropriate that one of his prophecies about the Messiah also has to do with tears. And when he first prophesied this, no one could have imagined how this prophecy would play out almost 600 years later. The prophecy in Jeremiah 31 says, This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. After Jesus was born, what happens with the Magi? The Magi eventually do find the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. They do worship him. It's this beautiful time. But then Herod wants them to come back and report where the baby is so that Herod can go back and can kill the baby. And the Magi get warned in a dream, don't go back to Herod, he has evil intentions. And so the the Magi secretly leave town before Herod can find out. Matthew chapter 2, verse 18. You can imagine how, for someone like Herod the Great, who is not a nice guy, you can imagine how well this is going to go over with him. Matthew 2, verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, He was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Did you catch that? Kill all the babies, two years old and younger, in Bethlehem and its vicinity. It's like there's a king out there. It seems that he's going to fulfill this prophecy. The only way to deal with this is this total eradication, so kill them all. Horrible. Verse 17, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. The direct lines from Jeremiah. Our final prophecy then comes from Malachi, about 500 years before the time of Jesus. So for us it would be like in the year 1500, medieval times. That's the difference between then and now. The prophet Malachi is the last recorded prophet in the Old Testament. And interestingly enough, his prophecy is a prophecy about a prophet. It's a prophecy that there's going to be a prophet who's going to make way for the Savior who is to come. Malachi's prophecy is this in chapter 4. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He's saying a a prophet is going to be sent 
to pave the way for the Savior, to get people ready, to help them all be ready for when this Savior comes, the prophet is going to help them and help prepare them so that when the, prophet, when the Savior comes, they'll be ready to receive him. And that's where we get John the Baptist. So in the New Testament, before the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. His name's going to be Jesus. Before that happens, an angel comes to this elderly senior citizen couple, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and they don't have any children and have wanted children for a long time. And Gabriel appears to them and he says, you are going to have a baby. His name will be John. And this is what he says. That Gabriel says, John will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel quotes the prophet Malachi. And here we are, 400 years later from the time of Malachi, with this prophecy about a prophet being fulfilled. So if you look in your Bibles, you got your Old Testament, you got your New Testament, made it through the prophets. We get here, we're in between Matthew, Malachi of the Old Testament and Matthew in the New Testament. And in, in, in my Bible, this is what's between the Testaments, the blank pages. Here's Old Testament, here's New Testament. And for 400 years in between those Testaments, God gave no words of prophecy. There were no prophets. God did not speak to the people. He let them grow. He let them become. He let the words he'd already spoken sink in. And these 400 years of the lack of God's voice were miserable. Herod the Great came into power. This was Herod the Great who was the one who uh, chased the Magi out, Herod the Great who killed all the babies. There were long and bloody political battles. Herod the Great brought great oppression. It was called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome, but it was anything but peaceful for the Jews. It was incredible persecution. Herod the Great declared himself the God of Jerusalem. On the Roman coins would be inscribed, Herod the Great, the Son of God, uh, going with the Roman worship of gods and goddesses. This was what the Jews lived under. This is the Herod that did all these things. And it's in this time of King Herod that Jesus is born. And so when the angels come to the shepherds and they say, good news, good news, unto you is born today, your Savior. Good news. Your Savior is here. Good news. Peace. Peace on earth. Good news. Goodwill. God has goodwill to his people. Peace. Good news. Goodwill. Unto you was born this day a Savior. And the silence of the 400 years is broken with the cry of a newborn baby. Just as the prophets foretold. Over 300 
messianic prophecies in the Bible. Spread over a 1,500 year plus period of time in history. These prophets at the beginning of the historical section didn't know these prophets in the later historical section. They didn't know each other. They couldn't collaborate and say, let's, let's make sure we're communicating the same things. God gave them a word. They, there were things that didn't seem to line up. Who would want a king who's going to be pierced and die? Nobody wants a king who's going to die. We want a king who's going to rescue us. How can you say he will rescue us and he's going to die? It doesn't make any sense. How can you say he'll be born, he will be from Bethlehem, and he'll be from Nazareth, and he'll be out of Egypt? How, how does that all make sense? All these things that do, cannot make sense in the moment, but in the big scheme of God's picture, incredibly come together to give us confirmation, layer upon layer upon layer of confirmation that God is who he says he was, that Jesus is who he says he is, and that God is bringing salvation to his people. The wish list of the world is born. Amazing. In 2 Peter, one of the last books in the New Testament, I love this little passage of scripture that talks about what the prophecies mean to us today. It says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Churches just gives us hope. This just gives us hope that God is who he said he is. It gives us hope when we look at the people of the Bible who waited 500 years, who waited 1,000 years. People who were told, out of you will come this royal line, and then 1,000 years later, you're like, where is it? God's picture, his vision for what is going on in the world and in history and in our lives is so much bigger than what we can see. Our hope is rooted not just in what we see today or tomorrow. Our hope is not just in the circumstances that we are walking through right now. Our hope is that there is a cosmic God of the universe that is working out a plan that is bigger than what we can see with a redemption that is bigger than we can understand, a salvation that is more complete and more full and more holistic than we could ever hope in our own imaginations. In the Bible, there's one more book at the very end. It's a little book of, what's at the end? One more prophetic book. And these are prophecies that are yet to come. This is, this is future, what's yet to come. And, and just like the people of old would have read the earlier prophecies, and they'll be like, I don't totally, I kind of get the gist of kind of where it's going, but I don't totally get it. That, that's what it's like for us reading Revelation. We have hints of what's to come, but we don't know everything. Anybody who tells you they've got Revelation figured out, they don't. They're lying. They just may not know it. But in Revelation, listen to this passage. Revelation 22, it's almost the very last verses in the book. Remember that curse that we talked about back in Genesis? That curse that fell on the earth with sin. The curse that has been plaguing us ever since. 
Revelation 22.3 says, No longer will there be any curse. Don't you long for that day? That day when eyes are healed, when marriages are restored, when you are secure, when you are safe. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And Jesus says in verse 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Jesus came just as the prophets foretold. And he's coming again, just as the prophets foretold. That's our hope for Christmas.